Greg will be back to finish his section, but today we're going to be doing what's the chapter and the section from the Spiritual Disciplines book on worship. And I'm going to start us off to kind of get us in the right mind frame, because we are talking about worship of the Lord. I'm going to read a passage from Second Chronicles. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and He is to be feared above all gods. For all of the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him, Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So, we serve and worship a holy God. We want to use what we're calling spiritual discipline so that we may grow in holiness. So we're going to talk some about worship, what it is, why it's important, and lastly, of course, hopefully pragmatic advice on how we can become better worshipers of the God who is so worthy of our worship. So first, a good place to start is just what constitutes worship, okay? Um, I think um, Whitney has a very concise definition that I think works pretty well. Worship is focusing on and responding to God. That's his definition. We could get into a a deeper study of the word itself, um, but I do think for the purposes of this study, focusing on and responding to God is a good working definition of worship. And I want to point out how um, this definition helps delineate worship from any physical action. No physical act can be worship in and of itself. Not even the most pious, you know, even the most pious looking actions can be done without true worship. As an example of that, we know even in even the Old Testament spectacle of sacrifice, okay, a very let, let your mind wander to what it would look like to go through the Old Testament prescription of the, the killing of this animal <clears throat> and the dismembering and dividing up of this animal's parts and pieces and then the burning of this animal. You would think that such, a, such an act would certainly focus the response on God. Not so, necessarily. Because it says in Hosea 6, I des- for I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So this is just to show that there are many actions that we think of when we think of worship, and they can be worshipful of our God. But it is possible to worship or perform these physical actions in vain. <clears throat> now, worship is a normal... Um, Worship is a normal thing. It's part of our nature. It's part of the way we're created. It is abnormal or unusual for us to be in the presence of extreme power, majesty, or beauty 
and not respond in a way that we might we could call worshipful. For instance, <clears throat> even a totally secular person, when presented with a an overview of a beautiful bit of creation, mountain ranges, you know, an over a fly over in a plane, might find themselves catching their breath and just saying, Wow, it's amazing. It's beautiful, it's majestic. To give another example, a normal person, even a secular person, who was taken by the proper military authorities and walked through the bay of a missile silo, nuclear missiles, and were told there is enough destructive power in this room to kill millions of people. And someone might catch their breath and be like, wow, in this room, I mean, you know, that's a no, that'd be a normal reaction for us. Um, we might, if a normal person was taken into like the, the throne room of a king, seat of power for a nation, and said, in this room, decisions are made which affect the life and death of hundreds of thousands of people, the person might catch a breath and be like, wow, right here in this room where I'm standing and I get to see this? These are, these are reactions to these things, the worshipful in a way. Yet within the person of God resides far more beauty, destructive power, and authority than any of these mere earthly reflections. We think about what God is like, okay? We could respond to these things far more so our holy God. And responding to God's glory can take many forms. In Scripture, we have many examples from in Revelation 4, where we see the worship of the angels and the elders and the creatures before the heavenly throne, this, this, this loud public proclamation. But we also have the awe of the apostle Thomas when beholding Jesus sees the scars in his hands and in his side. And both of these things we see this focusing on and responding to God. Both are worship. So worship must involve thinking about God. Because remember I said, worshipful actions can be done in vain. And we're warned about this in the New Testament in Matthew 15. Quote, you hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain. Do they worship me? Quote. So we see that worship must involve thinking about God. You must be concentrating on God because there are, there are worshipful-looking actions that we can complete and yet have our mind far from God. Think about it this way, as far as it worshiping in vain. It is possible... You can go to a, a secular concert, recital, and just sit and enjoy the music. You're like, wow, that's great music. I love music. It's not worshipful. Okay. A secular scholar can, and many of them do, open the Bible and read through it and say, hmm, well, that's interesting. It's not worshipful. These things, without the focus on God and thinking about God, are not worshipful. And true worship is possible only with the Holy Spirit. 
1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit, end quote. This indwelling of the Holy Spirit is, is a mark of Christians. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that works to sanctify us, convict us of our sin, and reveal God's truth to us. So this kind of worship should be a characteristic of Christians who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians 3.16, Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's Spirit dwells in you? John 14.26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. I think Greg used that verse last week. So, there's a word about what constitutes worship and why it's totally appropriate that we should respond this way, and it's a natural thing that we respond this way. <clears throat> so, how shall we worship? Well, we must worship with purpose. I said worship is a natural reaction from, to God's splendor or to majestic, beautiful, powerful things. Worship, to be clear, is also a commandment. Matthew 4.10, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. Or, something from Psalter, Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. So we must worship with a purpose. It's a commandment. And a partial list of things that um, could con constitute worship include things like Bible reading, preaching, prayer, communion, baptism, and making music to God. Each of these can help us focus on God and respond to His divine attributes and works. But remember, it must involve thinking on, focusing on, responding to God. And it's normal for God's creation to do this. This is not an odd command, for we know that even the creation that we think of as inanimate praises God. There are many verses that testify to that. So as created beings created by God, it's, it's not odd for us to worship Him. It's completely within the character of the creation. Speaking of making music to God, <clears throat> because this for many years was a struggle for me, as it may be necessary, allow me to make a special appeal for singing to God. I know that there's two kinds of people. There are people that like to sing and people that don't like to sing, okay? Some people like to sing. They sing all the time. They sing for fun. They sing because they enjoy it. And the second type do not sing. They don't sing in groups. And they don't sing in private. They do not sing in the shower. They may even be lovers of music, they just like to have it performed by professionals who do a really good job, okay? I would put myself in that category. Love music. Don't love to hear myself sing, okay? Anyone there with me? Anyone, you know? Um, and if you have a bit of an ear, sometimes hearing yourself sing can be difficult or even painful. We must persevere through that. Scripture commands us to sing praises to God, Psalm 47, 6, and makes no allowance for however musically gifted we may consider ourselves. If Paul and Silas can sing to God in prison 
while the other prisoners were listening to them, we can probably sing as well. So, as a special appeal for uh, making music to God. How shall we worship? We must worship in spirit and in truth. And we're going to talk about this a little bit. There's a balance there that I want us to, to understand before we get on to more practical application here. John 4.23, but the hour is coming and is here now and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I love that verse. To worship the Father in spirit and truth and God is seeking people to worship Him in that way. So there's this balance, an important balance between worshiping in the Spirit and worshiping in the truth for the believer. <clears throat> Excuse me. We must worship God as He is revealed by His Holy Scripture. And this requires a knowledge of the truth. This is the truth part. We must worship God as He is and not God as we want Him to be. How do we make sure we're not doing that? The truth of His Word. And a brief um, Pentecostal aside, we must not worship God in a wild or confusing way, 1 Corinthians 14, 33. So we must worship God in truth. Conversely, though, we are also commanded in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Okay? So we're talking about the truth, but we're also talking about delighting yourself in the Lord. That's not just an affirmation of scriptural truth. You could read a verse and say, yeah, I believe that's true, and have no emotional response to it, okay? And that, I believe, is a failing. I would like to read a section from Whitney and just let him speak in his own words. I think he does a good job of this. This is from the book that we're studying. Quote, so we must worship in both spirit and truth, with both heart and head, with both emotion and thought. If we worship with too much emphasis on the spirit, we will be mushy and weak in the, on the true, worshiping mainly according to feelings. This can lead anywhere from a lazy, unthinking tolerance of anything in worship at one extreme to uncontrollable spiritual wildfire on the other. But if we overemphasize worship in truth and minimize worship in the spirit, then our worship will be taut, grim, and icily predictable. So on the one hand, there's supposed to be an emotional response to God's goodness and to His Word. But on the other hand, there's an affirmation and a focus on God's truth. And I think that's why it's important we worship in both. You could affirm the truths about God and have no real response to it. Yes, God did this. Yes, God did that. I believe that. That's, that's the true part. But you need the Spirit. On the other hand, you could just focus on the Spirit and, and lose hold of the truth, and your worship could end up going down in some wild, unpredictable, weird places that aren't well controlled. So I think it's key that we worship in spirit and truth, as Scripture says. 
And you want to think about that balance sort of between the head and the heart. We need both to worship our God. And we should worship in a way that identifies us as children of God. Our culture does not glorify or promote worship, save only the basest forms of self-worship, right? Responding to God in awe or in thankfulness is an identifying characteristic of God's people. It stands out. When standing out looking over the Grand Canyon, one person says, wow, that's amazing. And another person says, wow, look what God made. That stands out, okay? So we've talked about what worship is, why it's a a natural thing for us, why it's commanded of us. But remember, this this is a study about how do we become more godly. So, straight to the point. How does worship, as this spiritual discipline, how does worship bring us closer to God and help us grow more in holiness, right? Why bother? Other than the fact we're commanded to, as though that weren't enough, but the worship of God makes believers more godly because people become like their focus. That's a quote from the book. The things that you focus on, you will become more like. This works in all facets of life. The things that you think about, the things that you adore, the things that you want, those things transform you. This could be a good thing, as in worshiping our holy God, or it could be a a terrible thing, worshiping something of the world, money, earthly wisdom, status physical fitness. Um, we could come up with a huge list. And these things, if, if we worship them, we'll become more like them. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So when we worship God, when we worship God, we become more like Him we become more holy. As an example of worship, we have our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who was Himself faithful both in public, Luke 4.16, and private, Luke 5.16, worship. Jesus worshiped in the synagogue, but He also worshiped in private, went off by Himself so that He could focus on God and respond to God. That is a good Good example for us. We both. There was another quote from the book from A.W. Tozer. Some of you may be familiar with that name, a pastor. Quote, If you will not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship Him on one day a week. End quote. It's just showing how if you don't make worship a regular focus, a discipline, part of who you are, that... Doing it occasionally is, is more difficult. Um, but our Lord and Savior was faithful with His worship. Something else that can be very useful for us, worship can help us dull the noise of this world and focus on the eternal God. And this can provide us with great comfort in a wicked and troubling world. Remember Paul and Silas in prison? Think about the comfort and the assurance that they got from singing praises to God. 
And I'm guessing it wasn't the only time they ever sang. But since they were regularly in the habit of such worship at a time when their souls were deeply troubled, it came to them. And here's, and here's kind of, um, for me, a uh, very challenging truth about worship and, and why I, I want so much to be more worshipful every day and I want all of us to be worshipful. Biblical revelation of God will lead us to focus on Him. So, so we learn about God and we, fo- and we decide we're going to focus on Him. And the more we focus on God because He is God the more we will worship Him. And in turn, the more we worship God, the more we will be drawn to Him and focus on Him. It's a cycle. This cycle pulls us ever closer to the living God, and it is a beautiful thing. When there's a lot of focus on God and a lot of worship, there's more revelation of God, right? You know, we focus on God. It's like, God is so amazing. I'm going to... I'm going to seek God today. I'm going, to, I'm going to read His Word. I'm going to think about God. I'm going to think. I'm going to focus on God and respond to Him. And the more we do that, the closer we're drawn to God. And it is a cycle. It, like, it draws us in. brings us close to God. Um, and again, it's, a very, it's commanded of us, and it's a very natural relationship between the Creator and His creature. So... What happens in the times when you want to worship, but it just doesn't feel like it's there, okay? I feel like I'm all head and no heart right now, okay? I want to worship God, but, but my, head's, my head's in it, but my heart's just not responding in this awe-filled way that it should be. Well, that is not an excuse not to worship, I would argue that here's where the discipline part, the spiritual discipline part comes in. We should be intentional. We should plan your worship. We don't have a loophole where it's like, well, if I'm not feeling worship, I can just put it on the shelf until I'm feeling like worshiping again. Because if we discipline ourselves to worship, especially during the spiritually dry spells of life, this can often lead to the breakthrough of restored joy in our salvation. An example from my own life, because again, this has been a struggle for me at times, especially as a a younger man. I might not want to go to church. I certainly don't want to sing. But you exercise a little discipline. I'm going to go. I'm going to sing. You do that. Be faithful about it. And before you're done singing, during the song service, you find yourself really worshiping. You're hearing the music. You're thinking about the words. You're thinking about the living God who has given you salvation. And you are so moved that, is that a sniffle? Is that a tear? Well, no, but I mean, you know, it's right there. Because... This discipline led to God revealing Himself as you're practicing this worship of Him, and now the worship becomes full, head and heart, full worship. And you have this renewed purpose, this renewed joy of it, and you just think, gosh, 
I didn't want to come here right now. I can't imagine being anywhere else. This is the perfect place for me to be right now. So a discipline like this, worship can be practiced and strengthened over time. And sometimes when it feels dry, when it feels like spiritually, you're just like, I don't know, that's where the discipline comes in. Because God wants to be in communion with us. God is God, and He desires and commands to be worshipped. So a worshipful response to God is a beautiful thing. So that is my... um, So be intentional, plan your worship, and even during those dry spells, persevere, knowing that sometimes that mere act can open the floodgates that seem to be closed. So, a warning, sort of a warning here uh, as we get close to drawing to an end. How can people dull the natural inclination to worship in the presence of extreme power, majesty, and beauty? Remember our earlier examples of secular things that make people say, wow, or inspires awe. What would be a way that we, as people, could sort of dull that response, pass over that response, make it seem unnecessary or mundane? Thoughts? Don't make me call on you. Wanda. Sure. So if you're going through a spell and you're not really feeling it, you just kind of, ah, not really, not really into it today, just skip over it. That's a good answer. And then you find yourself worshiping less and less. Well, if I'm not in awe of God, how much am I drawn to God and the truth of his word? How much am I seeking God? So it's that spiral that draws us closer to God, but working in the opposite direction, right? Less feeling, therefore less worship. Less worship, therefore less feeling. I'm not drawn to God, so I move further from God. That's a good point. Other thoughts. How would we suppress this need, this desire for worship in our lives, unintentionally or otherwise? Yes, Greg. We forget. We get caught up in the lives that we live and forget who God really is and his relationship to us and our dependence upon him. I'm amazed how many of us will go through spells where we're ignoring God completely, hoping he'll bless us somehow. And um, it's that lack of understanding, that lack of really having the right perspective of who God is and who we are in relationship relationship to him, uh, created by him for one purpose, to worship him. And then somehow getting caught up in the lives that we live, uh, getting to think that they're important, getting to think that the little things that we're doing is the big things of life. And, uh, and of course, we have evil, evil all around us, including demons and, and so forth, and are encouraging all of that. But it's that lack of perspective, that lack of uh, 
truly understanding what's going on that allows us to sink into or slip into uh, situations, perhaps even long-held situations where we, we act like God doesn't exist. Uh, we act like he doesn't have a claim on our lives. We ask like we're, we're here for some great purpose other than what we know if we sit down in a Sunday school class and respond, we can come up with the answer, but we don't really live like we believe it. And, and that's just so easy for us to do. I agree, that, that's a great point. When you've got the, you may still have some of the, the head knowledge, but we're so distracted by the things of life and we minimize those things. Remember the example we, remember the example I used earlier about the nuclear missile silos? Well, imagine if you're a technician who sits there on a computer screen in that room every single day, done so for years and years, and you've long ago since to think, you've ceased to think about what's actually just feet away from you. You're just kind of punching a time card, you sit there on your computer, make sure nothing here needs launching, and you're good. That person is not going to respond with awe to being in the presence of all that destructive power because the focus isn't there, right? Long ago, ceased to think about what it actually means. I'm here, all, you know, I'm here all the time, and I know what it is, but I don't really think about it. I certainly don't consider the real implication of it. I'm just here, and I'm thinking about other stuff, right? So think about that as an example of, like, you've sort of dulled your response to this amazing thing, and you're caught up in other purposes that seem more important to you. And you want to guard against that um, as Christians. Any other thoughts about how we minimize this, Minimize worship. Well, then here's another thought. How do we fight against this? Okay? And here's where, like I said, I'd love to hear some of your thoughts. How do we fight against worship that is mentally affirming and yet the heart doesn't seem to be coming along? How do we fight against um, stepping away from worship because... It just seems too busy, or it seems odd, or it seems like it just takes a lot of time, because if I really think about it, all the blessings, millions of blessings I receive every week, and if I'm really thinking about all these things, God gave me these things, what an awesome God. Or, or maybe, you know, the effort required for real worship, that focusing on God, I'm not just singing, but I'm thinking about the Lord, I'm singing too. And that, that mental effort is effort and, and you know, takes energy, and sometimes we're low on energy. Does anyone have any thoughts about how we fight against minimizing worship in that way? From your experience and your walk with the Lord? Lois. Well, one obvious way is just to remember that we're God wants us to do it. Um, we we may not feel like it, but um, I, God asks us, tells us that we're to do it. So that remember the commandment, right? It's not optional. It's not when you feel like it. Um, thank you. Yeah. So just we're talking a lot about scriptural intake. Um, reading or sorry Stacy reading or or memorizing verses about the necessity of worship could be helpful for us on a, on a Sunday morning or not just a Sunday morning maybe um, on a time that you'd plan to be worshipful and don't find yourself doing it 
Um, maybe you'd set aside some time to consider godly things and, and, and want to worship Him. Those verses may, be, help, may help you focus, may help provide motivation. Sorry, Stacy, go ahead. We can be content with lesser pleasures, and so uh, maybe we need to examine where, how are we spending our time if we're not worshiping? What are the things that we're doing? Um, I mean, I, I can confess right now in my life, I really enjoy reading news articles online and that can fill up a really large portion of time. And when I'm honest and evaluate that, I realize that that comes to the neglect of other more important spiritual disciplines. So being willing to take the time to examine what am I doing with my time? And um, this is a perfect place to plug worship in and not find um, contentment in a lesser thing. That's great. That's fantastic. It's so easy to do, um, but I, I think that's a wonderful point. And just, you know, how are you managing that time? And, and like we talked about, the wonderful thing about worship is you don't have to be sitting here in this room. You can worship at home. You can worship in prison. You can worship at work. Just that focusing on um, God, and that's a great point. Yeah, just you have time to worship in there somewhere, right? But me and everyone else, we like to fill up our time with so many other wonderful little things that keep us busy. That's a great point. Next, and then great over here. Um, for people who really like the music part, um, I'm sure that most or all of us have at least like two or three, you know, like that. that's my favorite hymn or that's my favorite worship song. So when my heart isn't really engaged, then I go to those, you know, favorites to get the emotion there to really um, get my heart engaged where it previously wasn't. And that can kind of be like, you know, the spark that gets the flame of the worship going or if, Sometimes I know um, Jeremy has given this example of if you're more into like the preaching, you know, the um, exposition of the word that kind of gets you going for worship, um, you know, go to your like favorite pastor, you know, there's lots of stuff online. So, you know, Jeremy said like for him, you know, John Piper is a really good example of someone who's like really bring this awe and this, you know, just amazing worship of God in his preaching. So sometimes going to, um, you know, just listening to someone who just really gets your focus on God in a way that it's hard for you to do yourself can um, get that emotion there. It's a good idea, and that could go back to that sort of intentionality and planning your time of worship, you know what I mean? If, if you have, like you said, a, a, a music that you really respond strongly to and praise and focus to God, or the same with like passages of Scripture or a pastor whose exposition you find to be a blessing in that way, that's an excellent point, good strategy. Greg. Well, you asked what keeps you from worshiping or how do you keep from that becoming dull? One of the things I think is you uh, refrain from thinking about God uh, only in certain blocks of time, that you think about God the way he thinks about you, which is continually. If you speak to God, he's promised that he's listening. Well, we owe him the same kind of of uh, respect uh, and certainly much, 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 much more respect. Uh, if he, the creator of the universe, can say to us, you who I've created, I'm going to, as it were, stop everything and listen to you if you decide to speak to me, uh, 
we could hardly expect to do less than that. And so we look at, we look for opportunities all day long to be thankful, to commune with God, to think about him, to talk to him, to uh, uh, seek his blessing, to seek his input, uh, that, that our involvement with God doesn't come on, certainly doesn't come just on Sunday, it certainly doesn't come just during some time that we set aside to commune with God, but it's we saturate ourselves with God all day long, uh, everything we do, and we will see God more when we do that, we'll and we'll be much more likely to worship him as we begin to see more and more what he's done, who he is, uh, and our relationship to him. That's really good, Greg. And that's something that I didn't really uh, have a chance to touch on much. But the, the discipline of worship um, and the practice of worship can lead to spontaneous worship, as you were talking about, where you're just so saturated with it that maybe I hadn't even set aside this time for worship, but something happened and all I can do is, is respond in worship. And God, God loves that. God, um, um, those of you who um, suffered through my Old Testament class knows that uh, ancient, uh, Israel had a special sacrifice that was to be given for spontaneous worship, that there was an allowance, that God made allowance for this spontaneous, you know, maybe it wasn't planned, but something happened, and all I can do right now is, is focus on and respond to God and say, God, thank you, or God, you're wonderful. Um, and I think that that can sprout very organically out of the discipline of worship, and I think that's a great, fantastic point. Um, a, a wonderful benefit of worship is that worship leading to more worship. Carrie? Maybe kind of connected to that note then, I think that's where the blessing of living in community with other people is helpful because when we're isolated or on our own, I think it can be tempting to maybe get dulled to like the blessings that God gives us or like the things that we see in his character over time. And so we can kind of just get dulled to those and I don't know, focus on other things, but when we live in community with other people, we can maybe more easily focus on what God is doing or the wonderful ways that he's working in other people's lives or even just kind of building in that habit of let's marvel together at what God's doing where maybe that's tough on its own. Sort of together cultivating a collective attitude of worship. I think that's fantastic. And, um, may help us focus during those difficult times when you see other people that are focusing in with real head and heart, spirit and truth worship on our God. Really good. Thank you guys for your thoughts. Um, we're about five, six minutes early, and, um, but now's a good time if anyone has questions, um, thoughts. Um, more practical applications. I hope this has been helpful in some way to motivate you to want to worship, to show you the usefulness of worship, and to show you how worshiping God and being in awe of God leads to seeking God, which leads to God revealing Himself to us and also through His Scriptures, which leads to even more worship. And it's that circle that draws us in and brings us close to the living God and makes us Christ-like, makes us holy. And again, that's the, that's the whole end goal of these spiritual disciplines is to make us more Christ-like and make us more holy. So if anyone has any closing thoughts, like I said, I'd, I'd love to hear them now. We have a couple minutes, or we can let out five minutes early.
don't think anybody too be too upset. Jake, I was going to share a minute ago on the question about dullness, um, and it'll sound a bit obvious, but prayer, I think, is super important. Um, just in terms of whether it's prepping to come in to the worship center or if I'm sitting down to read my Bible in the morning, just to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to prepare your heart for what, whatever you're about to read or whatever you're about to, to study at home or maybe you're on your drive to work and, and you take a moment to prayer and, and to pray and, and just ask for the Spirit's leading. And I, I've seen countless times that when I do that, my, my scripture reading time is so much more rich. Uh, my, my ability to focus in the worship center, not get distracted at people petting each other in the back row. That happens back here. Uh, anyway, um, that sort of stuff. The, the distraction, you know, what, what are they wearing today? That, that goes away and I'm focused on, on singing and hearing or um, whatever it may be. My distractions are much more minimal when I take the time to pray. Um, and I kind of to Greg's point too, as a teaser for two weeks, uh, when we jump into prayer, um, I'll share a quote that basically to sum it up is that, you know, prayer is a day long activity that's just interrupted by little distractions. So the, the mindset being that your whole day is in prayer, it's spent in prayer. And uh, as you go throughout the day, you've got those little things that come up at work, right? <laughs> No, I, yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, and I love the idea that the difference between real, say, say we're coming in in the morning, we're going to worship in song together here. It's a Sunday morning. And the difference between a, I just I came slamming in here, you know, just got the kids or myself ready, got here, got in the building, sat down, and now we're singing. And surprise, surprise, my mind is wandering. But the difference that could be made by just a little bit of concerted effort of prayer, God, help me help this craziness be a small and unimportant thing and help you to be such an important thing. And surprise, surprise, that's find yourself worshiping more fully, more deeply. I love that idea. And um, I don't want to bury the lead here, but yes, next week, Greg's going to be back up here to finish up his section on biblical intake. And then we'll get to hear from Jamie on prayer. And I'm really looking forward to that. So an excellent point. Prayer to help for God to help us worship, and we know He'll be faithful in that.